Today, like mentioned just a moment ago, is our birthday. 11 years ago, February, yeah. February 26th, 2012. So exactly 11 years ago to the day was our very first gathering from Mill City Church. And we have seen God do some incredible things over the years. One thing that I I love is that over 1,100 people have put their faith and trust in Jesus in that time. And I love that number, but every one of those 1,100 plus people have a name. And every one of those names has a story. And so I just want to take a moment and highlight a couple of stories. The first one says, I grew up in church that did not support organized, or I grew up in a home that did not support organized religion. I'd never been to a church and my parents taught me not to trust, taught me to not trust Christians. After a really hard year of losing some close friendships and multiple family members passing away, I felt lost and needed something more. So I turned to my grandmother's faith and I started to read the Bible. It felt dry and I didn't understand any of it. I was stuck in this season for two years of seeking but not finding. I thought a church could probably help but couldn't push past my mistrust of Christians. Then a friend invited me to Mill City Church. That first Sunday I tried on multiple outfits feeling so nervous. It's a female, as you may be wondering. (laughs) While waiting outside the building for my friend, a lady approached me and helped me feel like I belonged here. Every person I met that day felt genuine and loving. I could feel myself starting to trust. The messages really connected with me, and I experienced a vibrance that was compelling. It didn't take long for me to accept the invitation to surrender my life to Jesus. Since then, everything in my life has changed. I found freedom from anxiety after a long-time battle for my emotional health. Now my focus is Jesus and the values of the kingdom rather than the values of the world. How amazing is that? And then one more. This guy says, I came to Mill City Church one year ago. I was depressed and hopeless. I had a plan to take my own life, but thought I would give God one more chance before I did. I showed up on the 10th birthday and had no idea why there were so many balloons in church. I was intrigued and determined to come back. I returned two weeks later, and during worship, Callie said, I sense that there is someone here who is battling depression and loneliness. I'm here to tell you that God sees you. He says, tears began to stream down my face, and they didn't stop through the entire gathering. I gave my life to Jesus that day. In one year, I found Jesus, got water baptized, found friends that loved me, and found my purpose. I used to think about suicide every day and make a plan to take my life three to five times a year. In the past year, I haven't thought about it once. Happy birthday, Mill City Church. We praise God for what He has done, is doing, and will continue to do. To, to do. So today we celebrate. We want to take a birthday picture, if we could. So um, let's see, where's Jenny? There we go, Jenny. All right, so everybody ready for you know, a, a happy birthday celebration, a happy face? You ready? Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Happy birthday. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jenny. <laughs> when I was 13 years old, uh, the church that I went to in Colorado Springs uh, hired a new youth pastor. And his name is Chris Hodges. And that was 37 years ago 
that I met Chris Hodges. He was my youth pastor when I was in middle school and high school. And my relationship with him not only continues, but it dramatically impacted the direction of my life. Maybe one of the, mo- one of the people that has dramatically impacted my life the most. I remember when I was in high school and Chris Hodges said to me at one point, he said, Aaron, I think God's got a call in your life. And here we are, decades later, Mill City Church, living into the reality of something that he saw in me that I never saw in myself. And so it is a, a joy to have Pastor Chris Hodges here with us today. He's an overseer for Mill City. Uh, he's a, not only my pastor, he's a spiritual father. And uh, so would you give a big, huge, warm Mill City welcome to Pastor Chris Hodges. All right. Come on, give Jesus all the praise, everybody. All right. So good to be here with you today. And I want to just take a moment, especially on your uh, 11th birthday, to um, honor your pastor. I mean, um, I mean, God gets all the glory, but I think it's healthy to honor people who've worked hard and believed hard. And I have known your pastor for 37 years now, and I've been able to watch their life and actually officiated their, their wedding years ago. And Uh, Just have known them forever. They are exactly the same people all 37 years, just consistent, love God, true to each other. And I think it would be appropriate. Come on, we give God all the glory. But let's show some honor to our pastor, everybody. Love you. So proud of you. Come on, really proud of you. Good job, Jossie, Aaron. Yeah, it won't hurt their feelings. It won't hurt their feelings. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, guys. Way to go. Way to go. That's, that's, that's so deserved, and uh, we do love you. I'm so proud of you guys. And uh, there's a couple things he didn't tell you about me that you probably should know. I've been, I've been married 37 years um, as well, and, um, <laughs> and we have five kids, and I know that's a lot. I did a conference in California, and a guy came up to me and says, man, wow, five, that's that's a lot. I mean, you, must really, you must really like kids. I said, no, I really like my wife. Come on, everybody. So <laughs> you got it all wrong, my brother. And so um, anyway, and um, we have eight grandkids now. So that's the best part of my life. Yeah, a few gra- grandparents in the room. Grandparents. Are gra- See, and they make noises because that's because grandkids are better than kids, everybody. So don't kill your kids. Better ones, better ones are coming. Hang in there, everybody. All right. And so... Um, um, it, it's awesome. It's the best part of my life. We're having so much fun. Uh, we're honey and papa. So anyway, it's just, it literally is the best part of our life. Second thing he didn't tell you is that I'm actually, our church is in Alabama, but I'm a Cajun from South Louisiana. And I say that as a disclaimer, because um, you might not learn a thing, but we are going to have a good time, everybody, all right? So Cajuns aren't smart. They're fun, all right? That's why there's seven reality shows on TV right now about them. Anyway, so, yeah. So I wanted to make sure you knew that. So lower your expectations, everybody. Here we go, all right? I am very honored to be here. I do pray for you every day. I'm honored to serve as an overseer. So you have local governance. Actually, I met yesterday with your, your non-staff elders, your trustees, and we had a wonderful meeting talking about the future of the church. But really the seat I sit in is just to look after your pastors and love them and give them whatever they ask for and just support them in every way. And uh, Aaron and Jossie, along with a few others that I pastor, come to Birmingham twice a year so I can just pour into them and love them. And just know this, I literally uh, call you out by name every day. Uh, before the Lord and just cover you in prayer. 
and I'm so proud of you. You've done a great work. You really have, and you should um, be grateful that you're in a life-giving local church and that, uh, that what God's done here. It's, this is not happening everywhere. I hope you know that. You're, you're part of something very special. Can we one more time thank God for it, everybody? Come on. Come on. Yeah. So, all right. So I had the simplest of messages ever, okay? But it is probably the thing that I'm the most passionate about. I tell our church, I'm really not a pastor. I'm a tour guide. Uh, I, I help lead you in your spiritual journey and that God has for you. And you do need to know that God has things for you that a lot of people, they're not resistant to. They just don't even know it exists. It's like a restaurant in a town that you don't live in. You never even knew it was there, but the locals know. And if you ever got a chance to eat there, you'd love it. And so what I love doing is helping people see the spiritual journey. And I like to paint a picture for people to realize, listen to me, this isn't just good preaching. This is really the truth, all right, that God has more for you. Like God has a lot for you. It's not, he never intended you just to be in survival mode. He wanted you to live in significance mode. He wants you to, what the Bible calls, flourish. Psalm 92 says, those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. So the more you dive into or take steps, let me use that terminology, the more you take steps toward God and then all that he has for you and your roots grow deeper in your faith, flourishing happens. And that's, that's what God wants for your life. And for some of you, you can't even imagine that being a reality, but it really is. And that was the beauty of just two stories of the 1100 that you heard from uh, Pastor Aaron just a minute ago. So let me give you a picture for those of you guys that are more creative types. Um, the, most, the, the worst, really hottest, driest, worst place in America is what's called Death Valley, which is why they call it Death Valley. Nothing lives there, grows there. No, there's no farms, there's no animals, there are no houses, nobody. It's the hottest, driest place in America, and that's what it looks like, all right? And this is what a lot of people's lives look like. Uh, in 2004, a phenomenon happened, and because of the way America is shaped geographically, it never rains there, ever, but rain fell. In fact, seven inches of rain fell in the winter of 2004. Nothing happened immediately, but by spring of 2005, this happened, okay? And it's called the super bloom if you want to go Google it and study it more. It's, it's only happened a couple of times there, and here's the deal. Watch this. Death Valley wasn't dead. Death Valley was dormant. <laughs> All along, there were seeds of potential that just needed some watering. Okay, the same is true with your life. Your life's not dead. Marriage is not dead. Your emotions are not dead. Listen to the guy who wanted to take his life five times a year. He, he's, you know, he's just, it, it was just dormant. There were seeds of potential. He found a, a place for that life to be watered. And that's what I want to paint the picture for if you ever decided it's time. I'm ready to, I'm ready to not be here anymore. <laughs> I'm ready to take my steps toward God. So uh, if I had time, I would take a long time and show you cover to cover from Exodus to Revelation. could show you at least 14 places in the Bible where God has always wanted primarily. He wants many things, but primarily four things. And, and they, they are, their journeys are progressive. You do this one so you can do the next one, so you can do the next one, so you can get to this ultimate place. And I just want to show you what that looks like. And I'm going to title this message today, My Prayer for You. And the reason why it's my prayer for you, because this is how the Bible actually prays for you. So there's actually a prayer in the Bible that I'm going to read you. This is one of the 14 places uh, in Ephesians where the Apostle Paul, and the word apostle basically means church planter. So he would start churches, raise up leadership, uh, give, set good doctrine in and teachings, then go do it again in another place. 
In fact, a lot of your Bible are just letters that Paul wrote either to the pastor or to the church to give them encouragement or to do some correction or whatever was needed for the local church, okay? So this was in the book of Ephesians because there was a church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, all right? So he planted a church there, and now he's off doing something else. And now he's, uh, he's actually wrote this letter to them. And in the very first chapter, he prays this prayer, and he says this. He says, I keep asking God. So in other words, this is a daily prayer. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Time out right there. In other words, I just keep praying that one day you'd actually see it, that the lights would come on and you go realize, oh, wait a minute, I see what my life could look like. And then he's going to list the four things. I'm praying that you could see how important it is to know God better. And he used a word there that doesn't, we don't give a reaction to, but the audience of that day would have reacted to because in the original language of the Bible, which anybody would tell you that the Bible's been diluted over 2,000 years, they don't know what they're talking about because we still have the original manuscripts in, in, in the Greek. And I actually studied this verse, and it, in the original manuscripts, it said the, the word there for know is the word gnosko. You don't need to know that, but the word gnosko means to intimately know, to personally know which was foreign to them. In fact, it's the same word where Adam knew Eve and they had babies. And it's, and it's not a sexual term, it's an intimate term. And so he's basically saying, no, 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 you can actually know him. You can be in a vibrant, real, dynamic, meaningful relationship with a very alive God. And they would have went, really? Because God was just distant. He was rules on, a st- on stone tablets. And so that got their attention. He says, then once you know God, then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart is enlightened. To which when I first read that, I thought, well, Paul, your eyes aren't on your heart. <laughs> they own your head, my brother. They, they, they're, they're, not, they're not here. They're here. To which he would say, no, they're not. No, you're not looking through these. You're looking through everything that's happened to you up to this point. Every single one of us are looking the, at the exact same thing, and we're all seeing it differently based on our experiences up to this point. I call it the pain, past, problems, and people. The things that have happened to you create a filter, good or bad, that you're looking through. And he says, once you have this relationship with God, he now gives you the power so that your heart eyes don't have to be polluted. That can actually be enlightened. You can actually have some of that stuff that has marked you, the stuff that now you take into life, the part of your life that if it wasn't in your life, your life would be better. You can actually have a way to deal with that for the first time in your life. It doesn't have to be a part of you for the rest of your life. And once you settle all of that in the past, you go to the third phrase, so that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So in other words, he has something for you in your future, but you can't see it because you have all these issues of the past. But if you ever deal with the past, now you'll see that God, listen to me, this is so cliche, but it's so powerful. God has a purpose for your life. Like, really? (laughs) There is a plan. You're a part of his grand design. God has real purpose all the days ordained for you are written in God's book before one of them ever came to be, Psalm 139 says. It's like God has a plan for your life. He wrote the book on your life, to which some of you are thinking, God wrote this? <laughs> well, no, you added those chapters, <laughs> but the last chapter still fits. He can still get you to his purpose regardless of what you've added to the book. So he has a purpose for your life, which is beautiful. Mark Twain says the two greatest days of your life were the day you were born and then the day you discovered why you were born. And for some of us, we've never taken that spiritual step, by the way, that only God can define because he's the one who created you in the first place. So, but you can't have that if you're still dealing with yesterday and you can't deal with your yesterday until you have this relationship with God. And then the final phrase, he says, and then you can have what he, and this is the fanciest, probably the hardest to understand phrase in this text, 
Now you can have the riches of his glorious inheritance that you have. You can't have by yourself. You have to have it with a group of people. He, here it calls it the holy people or the saints or the church. That in other words, God has something for you, and it's called an inheritance. You know what your inheritance is? People. That your life was lived so well that it began to impact the lives of someone else. And it becomes the mark of your life that you weren't living just for yourself or for the attainment of your things for yourself, but you're actually living to make a difference in the lives of someone else. And even secular sociologists have proven that it's the highest level of living, the place where you get, finally get to where your life is now impacting the life of someone else. But you can't impact the life of someone else if you don't know your part, and you can't know your part in that until, unless you're dealing, if you're still dealing with the past issues, and you can't deal with the past issues without a powerful God in your life, it's your spiritual progression. At Highlands, the church I pastor, we've actually put it into four phrases. You can know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Like God wants this for your life. So here what I want to do today is I want to just, I want to egg you on. Like, so wherever you are in the spiritual continuum, I, I just want to encourage you to take a step. Not all of them, just the next one. And the first one is, I really would love for you to really get to know God. So you're in church. Good job. I'm proud of you for that. Um, but we're just facilitating a relationship with God. We really want you to get to know him. Like take it from a religious institution, as that one testimony said, to this relationship with God. This was a revelation for me personally. I was actually raised in church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was a Baptist, okay, and this is 90% Catholic in, in, in Louisiana. And, um, and, and I was in church my whole life. My dad played organ. Mom sang in the choir, sat with Grandma right over here in this section so Dad could keep his eye on us. That was actually why. <laughs> and so my preacher um, preached about hell every Sunday like he'd been born and raised there. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I'm seven years old, and I ain't stupid. I mean, I'm young, but I'm not stupid. I, ain't, I don't want to go to hell. So our tradition was he'd get out in front of the communion table at the end of the service, choir would sing a song, and you'd get out of your aisle, and you'd do what was called an altar call. And he'd sit there and stand and wait. Well, I was seven years old. I got out and, and walked up to the front and said, I don't want to go to hell. You know, so he, he said, well, pray this prayer. And then he sat me on the front row, filled out a clipboard, uh, because you actually, jo in the Baptist tradition, you actually join the church the day you get saved as well. And then, then they actually vote you in. Like everybody raises their hand, yeah, we'll take him. You know, like that, they do that. <laughs> and I'm happy to report it was unanimous. I got in, okay. So, um, and then I got baptized that night. Well, I didn't meet God, I just met a church. And uh, so I'm still living like the devil all throughout teenage years when I showed up in a church like this. And actually, uh, Pastor Aaron, it wasn't even the uh, message that got my attention. It was the worship. I'll never forget seeing Christians in love with God. I'm thinking, these people are nuts. <laughs> and I think I want what they have. You know what I'm saying? I had that little, I had the old right over left and everybody was woo woo. You know, and just that. And I just, it was, and I was so drawn to it, honestly. So when they gave the response time, I didn't respond um, because I had already been to church long enough to know that they were going to bring me to a little room, and I ain't going to no little room. That ain't happened, right? And so, so uh, I wasn't doing that. And so um, I went home that night, and I was mad, confused, trying to figure out who's real, what's real. So I thought, surely the Bible's got it right. I forget both the church I grew up in and this new one. And in fact, I even said, I'm not even going to trust the whole Bible. I'm just going to trust Jesus. So I had a red letter edition of the Bible where the words of Jesus are in red ink, and I just read the red. I skipped all the black ink words. And, <laughs> and so I started in Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. And you only get three pages in, and Jesus says in red ink, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I thought, well, that's a problem because that was my plan, you know, so, uh, and that's what they told me to say, call him Lord, you're in the club, and Jesus comes along and says, no, you're not necessarily, and it goes on to say that, and he lists, actually in the text, I had a sound on the screen, but he lists things that are very religious, um, and he lists these things that you do, and he says you can do those things, and they're not bad things, but you can do these things and still not get in, and he says, because I never knew you. And he uses that word, gnosko. I was never looking for religion or your church attendance or your giving or your serving. I mean, that's all important, but I was looking for a relationship. And it was the first time in my life that I ever realized that. And I led myself to the Lord that night, got on my knees, threw my arms across my bed, told him he'd, if he'd save me, he'd never find a better follower. And I've, I've spent 45 years now, y'all, and I've never looked back. So just love Jesus with all my heart, yeah. And I love telling that story, and I love telling people that if you've never taking that step, you need to take that step toward God. And don't let, as we heard in one of the testimonies, keep how your perceptions of what Christianity or the institution is keep you from a God who's very real and really wants to know you, and it's a vibrant, enjoyable relationship that you can have with God. I was recently on a plane. I was actually speaking at my home church uh, in Baton Rouge, and I drove down to New Orleans, which is an hour away, to take a, a, a flight from New Orleans to Birmingham on Southwest, and if you've ever been on Southwest, I'm a control freak, so I, can't, I don't like it because you don't know who's sitting next to you. Everybody chooses, you know, and that, that, that gives me angst. And so, um, so I sit with my wife, Tammy. I get that dreaded middle seat, and here's that empty seat. And I got my leg over there and everything, you know, just like giving every signal I can, like, go back, go back. This girl, you could hear her in the jetway. Woo, 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 woo. I can't see her. You can hear this girl. And she's coming through, and she comes through just dancing around the corner, high-fived the flight attendant, and then she high-fived every row, first row, first row, second row, second row, third row, just all the way down. And I'm thinking, dear Jesus, if you love me. <laughs> and sure enough, plop, she sits right there, and she goes, so, what do you do for a living? And when you get asked that as a pastor, you have to decide if you're going to lie or not. You really do, you know. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she goes, well, duh, we're all passengers. I said, no, <laughs> like the pastor of a church. And she said, oh, well, I don't like Christians. Well, I knew the kind she'd probably been raised around, so I decided to play along. I said, yeah, girl, me too. That's why I had to start my own church. <laughs> she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, Christianity has a branding problem. And that a lot of times how it's represented isn't what it really is. And she goes, I'm, she was all ears. She, she got a, the cart girl already came down. She got a drink. She goes, what does he think about this? I said, he's not thinking about that. He's thinking about you. And if he ever got you, maybe he'd talk to you about that later. She goes, I've never heard that before in, the, uh, in my life. She goes, I said, it's in the Bible, though. It's in there, you know. And so anyway, the plane landed. It's only a 45-minute flight. And, um, and she was going on to Nashville. And she goes, I have to have more. And I said, well, listen to me. We stream our services live like you guys do here at Mill City. I said, and we have 24 campuses in Alabama, and then we have, we're in 21 um, correctional facilities, prisons in Alabama. So, so I greet them at the beginning of every message. And um, I said, if you'll watch, I'll give you a shout-out online. She goes, you won't. I said, oh, yes, I will. And um, <laughs> so I started the service. Hey, everybody, welcome to Church of the Highlands. All of our campuses that are now joining us, all the men and women, women in the Alabama Department of Corrections, God bless you. Today, I want to give a special shout-out to my friend Tanya. Girl, I told you I'd do it. You know, and, and I didn't know if she was watching or not, but she was watching. She sends me an email the next day. And she goes, I let Christians and what I th what thought about church keep me from God. And her salutation was, I'm ready to surrender. 
So I called her up on the phone and led her to Jesus. She gave her life to Jesus over the phone, everybody. Yeah, it's God be the glory. So, but the point is, if you're here today and you're kind of kicking the tires of faith, um, we would encourage you to, to go after a very real, very awesome, very personal relationship with God, not religion. And it doesn't include joining this church. This is just something we would love for you to do too, but, but that's not what church is. I thought salvation was church attendance, and it's not. It's a relationship with God. Amen, everybody? Here's the second thing is once you have that power, now you can actually deal with the issues that are holding you back. So like we all have them, that part of our life that if it wasn't in our life, our life would be so much better. <laughs> Listen, look at me. Look at my eyes. You don't have to live with that for the rest of your life. God has every intention of you finding freedom from that. Now that you have the power of God in you, you can. You say, well, Chris, how do I do that? Well, the, the answer is going to be shocking to some because it's not you and God. It's actually you and God's people. So James 5, 16 says, confess your faults or your sins not to God but to one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Now, you do confess to God for forgiveness, but you confess to God's people for healing. Why is that? Because God knew you'd need the accountability and the support and somebody to walk with you through it. Now, that's scary because you think they can't know. When I first started our church, Pastor Aaron, we had this lady came up to me and she goes, do you do counseling? I said, yeah, we'll do, and it was only me. I was the only one on staff. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. Like the whole office was the cell phone on my hip. Remember we used to wear them there? <laughs> Church of the Highlands, can I help you? <laughs> can I speak to the pastor? Speaking, that's, <laughs> it's just me. Anyway, so she goes, I, I want counseling. And I, and I said, I said, great. I said, do you, do you go to church? She goes, oh, yeah, I go to a different church. I said, why don't you, why don't you talk to them? She goes, oh, they can't know. And I said, I said, dear ma'am, that is your problem. That the moment that we actually say, hey, guess what? Take off the mask. You're going to think they're going to go, oh, but they're not. They're going to go, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. And that's the beauty of a local church, that we're more than a gathering on a Sunday. We also gather in city groups for the purpose of getting to know one another. And you're not going <laughs> to tell them everything the first day. It might even be the 10th day before you do it. But the hope is is that you're in a family of believers. You're walking through the same thing you're walking through, and we walk through it together, and we find real freedom in Jesus' name so that we can get past our past and look to this thing called our future, our, the potential, the purpose that God has for your life. And again, you have, a, you have a purpose that God has a design for you that I'd love for you to be able to see, and it's connected to what the Bible calls a spiritual gift. All right, so the Greek word, again, to go back to original language, the word is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, where we get the word charismatic. A charismatic, by the way, isn't a crazy person in church. <laughs> a charismatic is somebody who realizes that God has given me a unique, divine, redemptive calling. It's a divine enablement. It's actually how the, the concordances define the word, meaning you're good at it. And when you did it, it would impact the life of others. Like some people are just good with kids, and some people are good at organizing, and others are good at talking to someone, and others are good at setting stuff up. We have a whole group of people here that's been here since 6 a.m., by the way, who found their purpose. And yeah, you want to thank the, the team who set all this up every week for 11 years? That's pretty awesome. But they, they came to what Pastor Aaron's offered to you tonight called Connect, Mill City Connect, and the whole purpose is to hopefully find a local church that you can call home and, though, discover the purpose that's in your life. 
Like you have a spiritual gift. It's unique to you. Romans chapter 12 says it this day, that we all have different gifts according to the grace that's given unto you. Grace means it's easy for you. It's a grace gift. That when you do it, it's not going to be hard for you. You actually find fulfillment in it. And then when you do it, it impacts the lives of others in a great way. And by the way, I just want to say it again. That's where real joy is found. That's where this kind of living is really, really found. But most people don't know. So what happens is we end up chasing the wrong thing. And a lot of you are chasing something. You have your, you have your ladder climbed up. The, you know, you're climbing this ladder and only to get to the top and realize that's not where you wanted to go. And so we're stuck. We almost feel stuck in this thing called life. I tell this story, and, and I read this newspaper article from, from Florida. There was, this, it was this, there was a dog track down there, and I'm not promoting dog tracks. In fact, I don't like them at all. Uh, we have one in Birmingham. They just shut down, to God be the glory. All right, so anyway, but they used to race these dogs, and people would bet on them like horse racing, right? But dogs don't have jockeys, okay? <laughs> Thank the Lord. And so... Um, <laughs> So what makes them run? Because for a horse, you know, there's somebody saying, let's go, giddy up. Well, a dog has a rabbit. I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's a, on the dog track. I've never been to one, by the way. I want to confess that. I've only, I have seen it on Bugs Bunny before, though. So, all right. <laughs> but on the interior rail of the track, there's a mechanical rabbit. It's not real, but it's mechanical. And so they let it off early, and the dog just, you know, try, they're chasing the rabbit. Okay. Well, at this story, this article was, like, when it went around the first corner, a malfunction happened in the rabbit, and it exploded. <laughs> and, and fake hair and wires went everywhere. Well, the dogs now, not having anything to chase, got all confused. And the story said one of them just laid down on the track and took a nap right there. <laughs> one of them got so disoriented, he ran through the railing and hurt himself. And another one just looked up to all the people bar- uh, betting on him and just barked at him. I just howled at the crowd. And I thought, what a picture of life. When you don't have something to chase, you'll either take a nap, hurt yourself, or bark at everybody else. You know what I'm saying? It's just... And for some of you, and that's funny. It is funny, isn't it? <laughs> but that's what your life looks like. You're just you're yelling at everybody else. Or you just don't even know what to do, so you just lay around, or you, just, or you actually hurt, end up hurting yourself in some kind of a way. Because you need the right thing to chase, that God has a purpose for your life. And I just want you to hear that. And the the reason why I love my job is that you have to come to God to find it out. Because he created you. All the days ordained for you are written in his book before, before one of them ever came to be. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians, not on the screen, says it this way. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. You know what that means? He didn't create you and go, hmm, what can I do with them? No, he had the thing for you to do first, and then he created you. Like your life is on purpose for a purpose. And I just want to tell you that so you can go after it and chase it and find it in your relationship with God. And if you do, you get to this final place where you can do something that is bigger than you, greater than you. All right, now this is living. Just trust me. This is where life really is. And, I, and I, I'm a student of sociology. I wrote a book on depression and, and suicide uh, out of the life of Elijah. I, I've, I've spent actually three years studying human emotion and sociology and psychology. I'm not an expert in it, but I know more than most. And, and only to discover that real life is found when you're doing something. Viktor Frankl, the great um, uh, uh, Jewish-Austrian uh, psychiatrist, um, wrote the book called Man's Search for Meaning. 
and he, he counseled post-Holocaust survivors, Jewish survivors, whose whole families were murdered in the Holocaust, and they were all suicidal, and not one of them committed suicide under his watch. He actually disagreed with Freud, who said life's all about pleasure. He goes, no, it's not. Life's not about pleasure. Uh, life's about purpose, and if you don't have purpose, you dull your life with pleasure. And he, and he came up with what he called logotherapy, and logotherapy was that everybody needs to find what he called meaningful work in a community of people that you get to do it with, and then take your pain and use it to help somebody else in that same pain. I thought, you didn't create that. That's all in the Bible. That's God's plan for your life, to do something in your life that really matters. And I stand here a lot. I've been doing this 40 years. I'm, I'm 60 this year, been, been in ministry for 40 years, and I um, have big celebrations this year. I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's, just, it's a fun year for me. And, but I've, been, I've stood in this spot many times looking at people saying, come on. And inside I'm trying to be so nice. So scriptural, tell stories, encourage. But inside I'm going, come on, come on. Like, it's like being at a red light. You ever been in a left turn red light? I have a light that I, I'm at every day. It's my light. And I know how many cars can get through in one cycle. And I was right on the line one day, right there on that line, that if everybody... We'll go. <laughs> we can all make it, right? And I saw this car in front of me, and she had her head down. And she's just, mm. and I know it's going to happen. It's going to turn green, and, and she's not going to go, and we're going to miss it. And I'm a, I'm a honker. Where are my honkers at, y'all? Yeah, baby, let's go. My wife hates it. Stop, 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 stop. I said, why? She says, they probably go to our church. I said, good, I can teach them something right now. They're like, <laughs> So she's. So I had Tammy's not with me, and I had my inner Tammy in my ear that day. And and I saw it. And sure enough, the light turned green, and head still down. And I'm just. I wanted to go. Argh. But I just. I was. I was a good Christian that day, and just. I went. Beep beep. Just all I did. Just that little bit. Just that much. To which she went. Oh, oh. And went. And we didn't make. We didn't make it. We didn't make it. And so terrible. That's what it feels like standing here. If you don't know what it feels like standing here, I, ga I gave you just the 25-minute the, the version of, maybe. could I tell you what I would want to say if I said it like, a, I'm not saying it, but let me say it, let me tell you what I would say. <laughs> really? This is what I would, I could, you couldn't do this, especially a guest, you can't do this, but I, what I would say is, Really? You're going to pay for your own sins? Really? You wouldn't want to, like, spend time with and know and talk to and let him talk to you, the creator of your life and everything that you enjoy? Really? And you want to live another year with that habit? Like, you're going to carry that into yet another year and that addiction and that secret. Really? And really, you don't want to know the unique, just belongs to you purpose that God has. Really? And you wouldn't want to jump on the team here, the lift team. And you know, in Alabama, we have we have a lot of people. Half our church. That when a, when a tornado comes through, we get them all the time down there. When that, when a tree's on the house, man, we have people 
run out there so fast with red shirts on, cutting trees off people's houses, telling them about Jesus, feedings, setting up drums on a sun, whatever. Like, I found my, I'm doing, really, you, want, you, you just want to be on the receiving end? I wouldn't dare say that to you, but if I was saying it <laughs> like I wanted to say it, that's what I'd say. Come on. So the option is this life that just has no hope. Just, so you just, you'll go through motions. And I'll, I'll dedicate this last story to those that are just like, yeah, it's okay. Life's all right. You're just hopeless. So I was, all, all great preacher stories are, happen in airplanes. Here's one more. So I was, um, <laughs> I was uh, on a flight. I was going to speak for a, a buddy of ours, the group that Pastor Aaron and Jossie are in. Um, and he has a church in Boston. So I went up to, I was going to go to Birmingham to Cincinnati, Cincinnati to Boston. And when I got on the Cincinnati flight, uh, this guy sits next to me. Business, you got to picture it's like a Navy sport coat, pressed slacks, starch white shirt, that old school square briefcase, Wall Street Journal newspaper. So I just fall asleep. I'm just, I'm just, I'm asleep on the window because I got to land and speak. And, and, um, and he wakes me up in the middle of my sleep and just elbows me, just elbows me. I'm like, what? What's up, man? He goes, what do you do for a living? I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> I was currently sleeping. But anyway, I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And he doubles over in his chair and starts heaving, crying. Like the whole plane can hear him. <gasps> like that loud. Not not little teary thing. I'm like, oh, my God, brother, what's going on? And he just buried his best friend. Uh, in Cincinnati who had a heart attack, 55 years old. He's crying, I'm never going to see him again, never. So I had my arm around him, like, all right, bro, it's going to be all right. And What's your name? It's Billy, Billy from Boston. All right, man, it's going to be all right, it's going to be all right. And, and so I'm thinking of verses, I'm, trying to, you know, I'm going through the files, I'm trying to find something to say, and I'm like, got it. First Thessalonians 4, Christians grieve, but not like that. It says, we, we grieve, but not like the rest of men who have no hope. So when he stopped, I said, I said, well, Billy, you know, the Bible says, he goes, no, 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 don't go there. I said, why not? He goes, I'm Jewish. I said, well, Jesus was Jewish. He goes, all right, go ahead. <laughs> I promise you, that's exactly how it happened. I promise you. So try it anyway. So, um, and I said, well, the Bible says, you know, I, we grieve. It hurts. Trust me, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt like that because we get to see him again. And then I quoted the verse, we grieve, but not like the rest of men who have no hope. And he says, well, well, how do you get the hope? I mean, he put that ball on the tee. If you can't hit that, you can't play, everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, I said, well, and that's why I explained the gospel to him all the way to Boston. We get off the plane. We're walking now through the terminal, Logan International, this giant terminal. And I said, all right, Billy, because I, I thought it was my job just to share my faith. I didn't even think about closing the deal or anything, you know. So I said, all right, man. He goes, no, 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 you can't leave me until I get the hope. And I said, well, Billy, you're going to have to confess Jesus as your Lord. He goes, I'm ready. And that brother knew enough to close his eyes, grab my hands. We are two grown men holding hands. And, yeah, we are. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. And right there in the middle of the airport, Billy from Boston prayed to receive Jesus. By the way, he did. When he said amen, he went, oh, I have hope. I said, I told you. He goes, man, this is good stuff. And he grabs his wallet. I'm like, brother, no, you can't pay me. There's a verse that says it's free. I can't charge you, you know. And so, and, and so we've maintained a relationship since then. But what he just needed was somebody to tell him there's hope. Listen, there's hope, everybody. You can know God. You can find freedom. 
You can discover your purpose and you can make a difference. And that is my prayer for you. Amen, everybody. You got it? All right, let's pray. Let's bow for prayer. So, Father, thank you for this amazing church. God, thank you for everybody that's here. And, Lord, I'm asking, God, that you, those that are supposed to be a part of this family, give them the, just the courage and the, the, the willpower to take the next step, God, to, to their faith, maybe even to come tonight and be a part of this family. And I bless them in Jesus' name. Why don't you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a second. I never walk off a stage that, that I'm on without giving people a chance to say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Or if you were a Christian and you walked away, you want to come back to God. And I'm not going to have you stand up or come to the front. But if you're here today, you'd say, man, that's me. I just, would you include me in the closing prayer that I'm really ready to give my life to the Lord or I'm ready to make him the Lord of my life? And if that's you, with everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed, if that's you, would you just look up at me, make eye contact, and just give me a little wave, say, count me in that prayer. Count me in that prayer. Anybody want to join me? All right. Anybody else? Okay, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just say, count me in. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you. Anybody else want just a little eye contact, a little wave? Just say, yep, count me in. I would love that. Awesome. Awesome. So here's the prayer. Just pray it in your heart. Anybody in this room can join us. Just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, paying for what I did. And you gave me your everything. And so today I'm giving you my all. Make it personal. Say, be the Lord of my life. I surrender the control of my life over to you. And I believe you're the son of God. And I believe you died and rose again. And today, I'm putting my faith in you. So thank you for setting me free, for giving me a home in heaven, and giving me the power to live a brand new life. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, give God praise together, everybody. God bless you, God.